At DLA, we're always looking to collaborate and build upon additional synergies beyond the typical scope of our services. We have chosen to build alliances with other automotive vendors so that we can be a valuable resource for our partners. So this week's session of our podcast, powered by DLA, we welcome, and I'm probably going to mess up his name, but Tony Giampietro. Thank you very much, Lois. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thank you for um, sitting here today and chatting with me. So today we're going to talk about digital marketing, specifically automotive digital marketing. I'm going to ask you just first a little bit to tell me about yourself because you're a car guy. Yes, I am. I actually started my sales career in the auto industry. Worked for a group back in the day in 1991. Started as a sales rep and worked myself up to a TO captain, you know, the guy that comes in at the end to, to close the business and then ultimately went into the financing end, was a finance manager, did that for about five years and then changed my calling a little bit. I was also involved with marketing for the local dealership back then. There was two places to be. It was Yellow Pages and Newspaper. Oh, wow. You just dated yourself. Yeah, I know. I know. But I just remember the marketing person coming in from the local newspaper and just kind of fell in love with that industry. It was interesting to see, you know, how creative brought new ups in the door that helped the salespeople generate more more leads, more sales, and changed my career path a bit and worked for Verizon for 20 years, marketing and advertising. I've been involved with digital. Believe it or not, I'm dating myself again back in the day when AOL was the big the big player in town. So was with them for 20 years. And then most recently, my last two stints were with... So most recent, uh, my, my last two ventures have been with... We refer to them as Auto Pure Plays. Basically, the definition of that is we are an agency without agency fees. You know, agencies are great. There's a lot of things that uh, they can offer and they can't offer. Unfortunately, some of the products that they do offer... They can't fulfill themselves, so they reach out to companies such as myself. So we like to be you know, front end uh, to make sure that we're getting our clients the best ROI. Uh, but again, I've been doing that for the last five to six years. Have a very good grasp on what's going on in the local market. Handle areas right now in my local territory everywhere from uh, upstate New York down to, to Maryland. So again, I have a really good grasp on predictive modeling, who's buying what, uh, how to target that client. To, to get, again, the best ROI for our, our rooftops. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to have a chat with you because here at DLA, we really um, believe in bringing value to not only our partners, but of course, our non-partners. You know, a lot of times I think what we found is that a lot of dealers are doubling down on their advertising budget and on their overall ad spend. And a lot of times they don't allow money uh, left in the budget for training. So I thought it would be an excellent opportunity to pick your brain and give our audience, uh, dealers, GMs, sales managers, and digital marketing professionals, an opportunity to hear from you that not only do you have that background in automotive, but you also know digital. And one of the reasons why I chose to build an alliance with your organization is that you're more consultative. So it's it's just, it's not really all about the sale. You really want to bring value to um, anyone that you at least have an audience with. First thing, when it comes to, to training, I will take a step with that. I think it's important for GMs and principals to let their salespeople know what it actually costs to bring a lead through the door. Um, in this local market, the average rooftop is spending $663 to, to, to move a unit. Um, those numbers are staggering. And the reason is 
there's so many places you can put your money. Um, I'll probably be the only person here that will tell you or that you ever hear from that tells you that all forms of media work to some degree, but it's so difficult to figure out where you're getting your true ROI from. And I think it's, again, critical for GMs when they're doing trainings on Saturdays and whatnot to, to, to let these guys know that are sitting there that, you know, we're spending a ton of money to try to make you money. Um, and, and then I think that when they do see an up, instead of sometimes, you know, rolling their eyes because it's 95 degrees out and they don't want to take somebody on a test drive, like they'll truly understand, you know, what they're spending to, to give them a living. What brought that, that up in, yes. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, so Gatehouse as a whole, again, uh, auto, auto pure play. Uh, we only, you know, we eat, breathe, think, live, uh, auto, auto only. And the approach that we have is, is simple, um, knowing that the average rooftop, again, spends roughly $663 to sell a car. We walk in and in some cases, if, if, if a rooftop will allow us to take a dive into their Google Analytics, um, it is such a critical component to really understand where you're getting business from. Uh, it's basically the DNA of, of your, your, your rooftop. And... We really just go in and, and ask questions. We provide a lot of data. We're a big data company. Um, so everything that we do is, is based on data. Again, we know trends of what's going on in the market via Polk data, uh, demographic information, who's buying what, where they're buying them. And Gatehouse just comes in. We do come in with a, a, a sales pitch, if you will, but the sales pitch is just to get an appointment. We look for 15 minutes just to show kind of things you can do on your own because there's so many things you can do on your own uh, that don't cost you a penny. But the problem is, our rooftops don't have the knowledge, expertise, nor time to be able to do it themselves. And that's where some someone like us comes in. But if nothing else, we're basically, again, selling an appointment, um, showing you where we can help, showing some, some key things you should be looking at, making sure what are called KPIs, key performance indicators, are set up in your Google Analytics so that you know where every dollar you're investing, what you're getting in return. You speak about data. We hear that a lot. I, too, came from a company where uh, I sold digital marketing and that was a big, a big selling point data breakdown for the person who is on that other end and is being told we're a big data company break down for me the benefits of what that is and what that means. Well, unfortunately, I'm a data geek. <laughs> but data is, is our friends. I mean, it literally shows you what's going on lifetime in local markets to be able to, again, allocate your funds the best way possible. As I mentioned, all forms of media work to some degree. You know, again, industries have, have has changed. Uh, again, 20 years ago, Yellow Pages, Church Bulletin, newspaper, you were covered. Um, and those forms of media still do work to some degree. But as we all know, the masses don't really use that to, to get their information to make decisions. So we literally just take a look at, again, what's going on in the local market, you know, who's buying what, and simply taking our data, our Polk data, our research as to who's viewing video, who's viewing YouTube, uh, who's still, you know, watching cable commercials, radio, whatever it may be, and just really help somebody allocate their, their, their budget in the best way possible. Um, Obviously, you don't have unlimited funds to invest, but at the end of the day, if one form of media is delivering a 10 to 1 ROI and the other one's losing you money, I think it's critical to know that. And that's where we come in and, and show you where you're getting the, your biggest bang for the buck. 
What are the top three things that a GM should be looking at in their Google Analytics? Boy, there's a lot. Um, you can peel back the onion a million ways from Sunday, but one of the key things is, especially for those that are doing any kind of kind of SEM campaign, figuring out where your where your um, your clicks are coming from. I was just recently with a rooftop yesterday, actually, that unfortunately they didn't even realize they were running AdWords in the Philadelphia proper market, but they were. Um, we looked at their Google Analytics and, and determined that they were spending roughly $2,500 per month just for AdWords coming from Philadelphia. You would expect $663 a car. You'd, you know, you'd, you'd sell a handful of cars, correct? So through August, we're talking, what, $20,000? How many, how many cars do you think they sold? I don't know. Nine. Wow. They sold nine cars. So there's a perfect example of, you know, uh, unfortunately, the industry is extremely competitive. Everybody's conquesting each other. But at the end of the day, when you fish in too many ponds, you just spread yourself way too thin. So here's a perfect example where, yes, I understand that they want to draw from the Philadelphia proper market, but it's just not viable. Um, they're paying way too much per lead and missing out on some local opportunities in their backyard. So explain how you would lower that cost per lead. What would you recommend? Well, the key things are, again, being able to, to view Google Analytics with a client. Um, we literally just look at certain things, and there's some buzzwords that are out there, bounce rates and click-through rates and, and conversions. But really, there are industry standards that Google puts in place. And we basically will first take a look at where you rank in comparison to their benchmarks, and then how do we optimize that. So again, this example, I'll go back to the one from yesterday. This is a real simple fix where if this particular client is trying to target the Philadelphia market, there's things out there called geofencing. There's YouTube advertising. There's so many different forms of media that would be more cost-effective that can draw from that market than Google AdWords. Because what's, what we're finding is people are clicking. They realize that this, this particular dealership is you know, 40, 45 minutes away from them, and they just don't show up. Um, so that's where we look at the GA to just figure out again, you know, where they're where they're coming from. Another big thing in GA as well to, is in the auto industry. There's a big trend right now, which is unfortunate. We all have heard of bots. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, in the auto industry right now, 42% of all online traffic is coming from a bot. Now that's good and bad. There's what are called good bots that are out there. Uh, Facebook sends a lot of them out there just to make sure that information is staying proprietary. Um, there's bad bots that are out there. Um, a lot of my rooftops are in uh, email conquest marketing. Unfortunately, that is one of the biggest bot servers, if you will. So things like that can be found in the Google Analytics. I mean, you can just go in today, do a map of you know where all your traffic's coming from, and if you're seeing traffic coming from, especially out of the country, but in you know Utah and Kansas, uh, there's a couple of them that are out there. A lot of them from California as well. There are a lot of the bot headquarters that are just basically just seeing what's out there on the internet. Uh, they're scouring your your inventory feed, et cetera, and it's doing a couple things. One, it's causing high bounce rate. The problem with bounce rate is it lowers what's called your quality score. And the little known secret that a lot of people don't know is an AdWord campaign is dictated or predicated on your quality score. And what I mean by that is usually everybody thinks, well, the guy who's first on the page is paying the least. And 99 times out of 100, the person who's first on the page is actually paying the least. Because Google's looking at quality score, time on site, page views, bounce rates um, to determine what your, your ultimate cost per click is. So, so let's go back to the bot traffic. Sure. So a GM takes your advice, opens up his Google Analytics and sees all this traffic coming from different areas. And 
what's he do? Like, how does he get rid of it? Well, the first thing that they look at is their their marketing campaign. Um, the good news is when they're doing an AdWord type campaign, Google does offer click fraud protection, and there's very little bot that comes from um, from Google AdWords per se. A lot of it could be coming from display advertising. So it could be a situation of just making sure that you're serving ads on more reputable sites. There's a Google network of, of sites that are recommended if you're trying to do display advertising. A lot of your local um, newspaper feeds, if you will, your, your, your philly.coms, et cetera, don't tend to draw bots from outside. Um, so it's just being more localized when you're doing things like conquest marketing or uh, display network advertising. Um, because that's usually where you see the biggest the bot ratio come from. And there's also a lot of it that does come from social. Um, so there are fixes for that as well. You've mentioned conquesting. Now, could be people out there that don't know that term. Could you just explain that term? Sure. Uh, basically, there's a, a bunch of different ways you can go about that. But simple conquesting would be, you know, I'm Tony's Chevy in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. And my main competitor is Lois chevy in phoenixville and i use adwords to conquest your name meaning that if somebody does a search for you i actually come up in hopes that they'll click on me and come to me instead of you um another big thing with conquest marketing is something called geofencing geotargeting that is literally where you can put what's called a ping on a rooftop so if i go to same example tony's ford uh on a saturday and we all use our cell phones, correct? It basically puts a signal on the phone, lets me know when I'm on a lot or what lot I'm on. I leave that lot. You literally can send me an ad live time, an hour later, two hours later, 30 days later, um, knowing that someone was just at, at my lot, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So what's recommended is that digital should be anywhere from 45 to 75% of an overall marketing budget. Now, that's pretty broad. If you could give us a breakdown of where you see that being allocated as far as SEO, SEM, social, what, what are the, the, the hot uh, strategies right now? Social, obviously, is, is still huge in the automotive industry. Um, if you could help us understand how much we really should be spending um, of our marketing budget on a successful digital campaign. Absolutely. Uh, using the percentages, the 45 and to 75%, just the level set that that actually comes from Google. Uh, there was a recent article done by their industry director for automotive uh, that was walking through and, and breaking down what percentages should be spent on digital. Um, April of this past year was the first time that digital online advertising surpassed traditional media, specific in the auto industry. Not surprised. Yeah. And to answer your question, you're right, it is a difficult one because it's kind of like building a house, right? You start with a foundation, and if there's cracks in the foundation or there's not solid structure of the foundation, you could build whatever you want on top of it, and ultimately the house isn't going to, to, to withstand and, and you know stay up. So every rooftop is an individual. Um, little things like site speed, which we'll talk about, is critical. Google uses a lot of what are called ranking factors, and, and site speed is literally, there's 200 key components of your, what is called ranking, you know, how you appear on a page on Google. Site speed is number six. 
And what scares me is I walk into so many of these rooftops and their sight speed is horrible. So that that's like one little thing that, you know, is, is part major part of the foundation. Now, if you have somebody who has a really solid quality score and a really solid foundation, you know, it may be they own their backyard. They own 80% of their local ASA and they're trying to draw from another market. That's where SEM comes into play because you're never going to rank in, let's say, Philadelphia if your rooftop is in King of Prussia. You know, it could be a situation where you are, you know, a Honda dealership and, you know, Nissan is your biggest competitor. Um, If you're doing well with Honda and you're just trying to, again, use that word conquest and, and kind of steal market share from Nissan totally different strategy that's where you do your you know your youtube ads your pre-roll ads your geofencing geotargeting um so to answer that one it's difficult and that's where we come in with a with a, a consultation we 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 analyze what we can see that google is showing us in terms of quality scores site speed things like that and then just making sure that you're maximizing the opportunity to reach the customers that are actually searching for you as well as your brands. How often should a uh, dealer or a GM be looking at their GA? Like, obviously, you could drive yourself crazy and open it up every day. And, you know, how often? Once a month so that they can make shifts in their strategy? Well, it's funny. When, when I show someone how to read it, because a lot of folks don't even know how to access it, but it's kind of like a new toy or a new car, if you will. Uh, they will look at it, you know, hourly because it can get addictive. Uh, or addicting, I should say, because it can show you lifetime who's searching on your site literally at this very second. But I would recommend at least once a week um, because usually, you know, when you're looking at sales overall, you know, especially on the front end of the first week of the month, you want to be able to predict where you're going to finish the month, right? Because the principal at the end of the day wants to know what are we on pace to close, etc. And if you're seeing that maybe one form of media isn't working all that great, you know, maybe you, you try to do a quick email blast for a new, you know, vehicle that has come out or a different incentive or a different offer. Very Be- good point. Because as we all know, unfortunately, most of the rooftops don't even get the manufacturer's, you know, monthly incentives until like the sixth or seventh of the month. And what also happens is usually they're not even getting those prices on their website until days eight, nine, ten. And the month's, you know, a third of the, of the way through. Um so that's where it becomes critical to figure out, you know, where your traffic's coming from and just how you can maximize to close them on strong. You just uh, validated the importance of having an agency or organization who is an auto pure play and someone like yourself who actually knows the car business. That's that's a great point. Tell us about today's customer's journey from the engagement point to the purchase. If you can't capture your buyer's attention on that little device that we all hold close to our heart, then uh, I think you're dead in the water. Tell us about the journey, the customer's journey, today's uh, today's cu- buyer. That's changed quite a bit. Um, it's probably no surprise. I know any dealership that has attended any of the seminars, they already know this, but the average consumer now only visits on average 1.9 rooftops. So let's call it two rooftops. Um, the influence of video is huge right now. Um, there's a lot of statistics that I can share with you that talk about where people start their journey. Obviously, you know, almost 80% of all people start with an online search. Uh, but then the next things they're looking for are, you know, video test drives, video walkthroughs, etc. And the key thing is making sure that you are influencing shoppers early on in the in the purchase journey because what we're finding is most people that enter the market looking for, let's say, a Honda, 
are leaving the market, buying a Ford. Um, and they're doing all that through video because my, Google calls them micro moments. And I know you and I have talked about this, but for those who aren't familiar with that, and this is where we talk about advertising and where it fits. So Google uses micro moments in this sense. So, you know, which car is best? So, you know, Stacy's searching for the best minivan and the best car for families, you know, with a car seat for and can fit a dog, right? That's a totally different advertising strategy than somebody who already knows they want to buy a Honda Accord or in that case, a Honda Pilot. And what's the best price? You know, the next micro moment is, you know, is this the right car for me? So using Stacy again as an example, you know, now Stacy's searching for a list of features, you know, such as a sliding middle row to ensure, you know, the car will fit their lifestyle comfortably. Then they get past that point and then there's what's called the, you know, can I afford it moment? Right. So Stacy has these dreams of owning this car and she may realize that, oh, my God, you know, that one's a, a ninety five thousand dollar car. Can't quite afford that one. Right. Um, so, you know, the can I afford it moments are just making sure that we're in front of Stacy now when she's ex- exploring, you know, pricing options, leasing versus buying, et cetera. Um, further down the funnel. And this is where. It's critical to make sure that you have strong, you know, SEO and SEM performance is, you know, where do I buy it from? You know, I've done all my research. I figured out which what's probably the best car in my local market. But, you know, as a rooftop, am I coming up in, you know, they call them queries when you do a search. Mm -hmm. But, you know, am I coming up on the near me searches, if you will, you know, Honda near me? Toyota near me, whatever. The voice search is big, yes. Yes, and and phrasing as well as you would refer to it. And then the last phase is, okay, now I know this is the car. I've done research. I've looked at reviews. I found the rooftop. What's everybody want? Everybody wants the best deal, right? There's, you know, there's a couple uh, great lies in the world. They always say uh, how much I paid for my house, right? The check's in the mail and how little I paid for my car. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's also critical too to make sure that we're getting in front of Stacy. Things that are called, let's say, retargeting are critical with that because, you know, Stacy maybe checks out your website. She leaves. She's not sure. She's doing some research. But then you serving an ad, you know, 15 minutes later, it just says, hey, Stacy, I know you were on our site. Guess what? You know, there's a, a special lease deal, zero down, two ninety nine a month, whatever it may be, just to get Stacy reengaged. So th- Google calls those the, the micro moments. And all forms of media fit into one of those buckets. You touched on video. So I wanted to talk a little bit about YouTube because I think that's underutilized. That is an understatement. Um, I'm not sure if everybody is aware, but Google does now own YouTube. Uh, YouTube is the second largest used search engine in the world right now. To put it in perspective... This is a this that will blow your mind, but it, it, again, with the viewership and readership, it, it's a it's a critical piece, um, not only just to drive more traffic through the door, but it is also part of your quality score with Google. Uh, as I said, Google now owns them. But an interesting stat that was done just this past July, and you would think it would only be the younger population, but this was specific to the question. Basically, was how do people shop with YouTube? And the survey was for people 18 to 64 years old. So you would think it would be a younger demographic, but it, it does spread the gamut. But 75% of all auto shoppers said that an online video, not photos, video, influenced their shopping habit or their purchase. So again, going in, looking maybe for a Honda Accord, walking out with a Nissan Altima, right? Mm-hmm. 
or Maxima, whatever it may be. And then here's a really mind-blowing one too. Same same study, same group. This one was done though, in, uh, was released in August of this past year, just a couple months ago, that 40% of all auto shoppers who used an online video for research said it helped them discover the vehicle that they purchased, right? But here's the critical thing, that they weren't even considering purchasing. Wow. So it's switching them out of one to another. And again, there are the types of things where, you know, we, we come in because again, we, we know predictive modeling. The great part about video, especially with YouTube is it does give you the ability to target, you know, demographic groups, age, gender, parental status, uh, household income, et cetera. It's, it gives you, you know, detailed demographics as to, you know, share traits, you know, college students, homeowners, new parent, et cetera. So it works just like any other form of media in terms of being able to target the right person at the right time or maybe the wrong person, right, who's looking right. for something else, but bringing them into your rooftop. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's consideration. So what do you say to the uh, dealer who says, oh, I have cars.com, you know, all the, the third-party sites, and they feel that that's sufficient? Interesting. <laughs> I hear that a lot. Um, I hear that a lot as well. Here's the ultimate thing with it. And again, this is where Google Analytics is absolutely positively your friend. Uh, inside of Google Analytics, there's a thing that's called referral source. Unfortunately, what I see too many times is the reporting from the gurus.com and the auto traders, et cetera, is they'll send you these beautiful traffic reports that are showing you all this traffic that you're getting. Um, but then when you match it up in your Google Analytics, you're not seeing the same information. Um, what I love about the third-party vendors, because they have their place and there's no doubt about it, they're, they're great. Um, if, if you're selling vehicles at a lower price point than anybody else in the market, then by all means, spend a ton of money there. But the problem is, as we all know, on a third-party site, I'm looking for a 20, you know, 13 Honda Accord. Sorry, I keep using Honda. Chevy. We're the Chevy Cruze, okay? Um, and the first thing you see, it gives the, the, the consumer the option to sort by best deal. So unless your inventory is all marked as the best deal, I mean, think about it logically. Who really is going to, to visit you if you're $1,000 higher than a competitor? Um, another true story. I have a, a kind of a dirt lot in the Langhorn area. Mm. Um, has roughly 180 cars on his lot. Loves gurus because he saw this traffic that he was getting, but he said, "Man, I'm not just not converting them. I'm not. I'm not selling cars." And I looked at his analytics. He gave me access to his account. Ready for this one? Four percent. Four percent of the cars on his lot were listed either good or great deals. Everything mm. else was listed as overpriced. Wow. So that's the problem with a third-party vendor. Um, we all know in the industry currently VDPs is, is the holy grail, getting people to your vehicle description page or details page. Um, and <clears throat> being able to do that first party where people find what they're looking for, come to your site, and don't leave your site. You're not competing with everybody else out there. So anybody who is doing you know gurus or anything like that, I strongly recommend you look at your Google Analytics to make sure that what they're sending to you jives with what Google Analytics is showing you're actually getting. It's actually happening. Yes. Yeah. So can you give us a real life example of a situation where site speed was not even a consideration and then you've called it to somebody's attention and they realize, wow, this is something I should have been looking at. Well, I, I can give you a bunch of those. The, the first thing I'll put out there is when, when it comes to the site speed, there are certain things that, of course, our company can do to help with that. But just so that you're all aware, you sign with your vendor to create your website. 
correct, invested 20, 30, 50, $100,000, whatever it may be, right? That's their job to fix. I mean, they built the site. It's not very difficult for them to make some modifications. A lot of it just has to do with the size of photos and things like that. They're very basic, simple fixes. And, you know, I'll call it what it is. Your vendor owes it to you to go in and make the modifications because it's not very difficult to do. Um, there's certain things you can do from an SEO perspective that can help with that. But really, in a nutshell, I don't know if it answers your question, but what we do is we will call out a vendor. We'll, we'll say, hey, this, 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 these are the facts. I mean, the, the tool that I use is done directly from Google, and it shows me, again, what, you know, what, the, what the site speed is. So I will sit with a rooftop, just say, hey, listen, call your vendor. These are a couple things that Google is saying are issues with the site. Give them a call. They should be able to fix that for you. And if they won't, um, maybe it's time to look, you know, potentially for a new vendor for your site. What do, what should they be? What should the site speed be? Huh. Well, interestingly enough, July of this past year, um, let, let me take a step back before we even go there. As we all know, mobile is growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, most rooftops that I see, their their traffic is anywhere between 70, 80% mobile algorithm. Um, July of this past year, it's called Google Mobile First Indexing. Um, basically, in a nutshell, what that does is it looks at the top 200 factors that we talked about, the ranking factors, sites being number six. Um, and believe it or not, what they're doing is any site that's longer than two seconds in speed, they're not sending as many spiders and crawlers out to your site. Um, some real basic facts, as I said, I'm a data geek about site speed. 79% of people will not go back to a site that has slow load speed. And think of yourself as a consumer, right? We just don't have patience, right? Yep. 40% of all people expect the site to actually load within two seconds or less. Makes sense? Absolutely. Now the, the good news is when you're doing a search yourself, you're usually in a building where there's Wi-Fi. So you, you'll do a search for yourself and say, man, I came up in 1.2 seconds. What's this guy talk, talking about? What we have to understand is the majority, 70% of the searches that are being done are not being done through a Wi-Fi signal. They're just being done from their data line. And... Look at the bars on your phone right now. I'll pretty much assure you, you probably have two or three bars. So what happens is the difference between a four gig search versus a three or two can triple, quadruple your site speed. But just a couple more facts about site speed. 40% of, 40 of people will bounce your site if it takes more than three seconds. So to answer your question, you gotta get it under three, somewhere between two and three. 85% of people actually expect their mobile site or a mobile site or a site to load on their mobile platform Faster than their desktop, which I right. find I find surprising. Another thing that will blow your mind, Amazon. We all know Amazon, right? What are they, $1,200 of stock right now? Mm. Wish I would have bought them 10 years ago. You know, you would think Amazon doesn't even look at things like that, right? Because everybody knows who Amazon is. Well, they actually did a study, and you can Google this recently, this past year. They estimate if their site slowed by just one second, they would lose $1.6 billion to their competitors. <laughs> Just for one second. It affects your Google ranking, as I mentioned. So it's a critical thing to fix. And now what we're finding is a lot of dealerships are doing Facebook ads, uh, which is another great product. But Facebook is now including that as part of their algorithm, meaning that someone who has a very slow site speed, um, they're not ranking them quite as high when they serve the ad in the news feed. So site speed is critical. I would think it's probably right now that and having some sort of optimized YouTube channel are you know, two of the... The biggest things right now that Google's looking for. And it's an easy fix. Very easy fix. I mean, uh, YouTube channel, it's just a matter of going in and claiming one. You can do it in literally 25 seconds. 
So what um, is out there right now, new, if anything, um, with what's going on with Facebook or social in general um, in regard to automotive? What should we be looking for doing um, on Facebook? Well, um, Facebook has uh, taken it on the chin a little bit, as we all know, this, this past year. For those that are not uh, familiar, back in April, there was a big scandal with uh, a leak of data. Uh, there was another one not that long ago, earlier this month. Um, so the biggest issue that folks are having when doing ads on Facebook is the fact that most vendors out there are using third-party data. And unfortunately, that's part of a no-no with Facebook. Uh, they don't want you know folks using third-party data. The use of Polk data and Axiom and Oracle, et cetera, is not part of what they allow for, for targeting. And unfortunately, if you're doing Facebook ads yourself and you pick up the phone and call Facebook, you know most dealerships are targeting auto antennas in the next, call it 30 days. If you pick up the phone and call your Facebook person, they will self-admittedly tell you that their data is about 90 days old. So you're really targeting the wrong person. If anything, you should be targeting for service. Um, what I would recommend is if you are doing Facebook ads, because um, really that's the only way to go on Facebook. I know a lot of people do you know posts and all this great stuff and they want a lot of content on Facebook but unfortunately and again you can google this yourself less than 1% of traffic comes from what's called Facebook organic that's posts and shares um, it's all coming from ads that's why they're becoming a huge stock right now they've figured out the uh, way to make money is to serve ads right so when you're dealing with any type of vendor it's critical to make sure that they're using first-party data um, Facebook does allow first-party data a lot of your local newspaper companies, again, using affiliate.com as an example, um, you know, you've got your intelligencers in this local market, um, just to name a couple, but they have people that go to their site to read their news feeds. So what happens is you read an article about the Eagles losing, again, I'll take that back, uh, but if you read an article about the Eagles, you know, trade rumors, whatever it may be, they're putting what's called a cookie on somebody's their computers and their, and their cell phones. So now what happens is they own that data. So they can use that data on Facebook. So now if I was looking for, you know, Eagles rumors, you knew I was looking for a, you know, a 2016 Mercedes, um, just on the internet, you have the ability to serve ads to somebody through social media legally and uh, in accordance to their, their rules and regulations, because again, we own that first party data. Um, if you're doing it yourself, your first party data would be your, your, um, your CRM, uh, whoever you have an email or phone number for. So, so it, first, to define first-party data, for those that don't know, sure. is data that comes directly from your site or a reputable site. Yes and no. Uh, so first-party data for a rooftop would be anybody who provides you with an email, phone number. They, they come to your dealership and, and you know use a MasterCard for service, whatever it may be. That's considered first-party data because you're the one that obtained that data. So using, you know, like a local news type industry. So again, using the same example, somebody's looking for Eagles trade rumors. Since since they were on that particular website, if you will, that vendor now owns that data. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. I want to make sure that, that makes sense. So third party data would be, you know, buying data, which you used to be able to do, which is buying, you know, Oracle data, MasterCard data, uh, Polk data, and then trying to use that to target people based on the fact that you know that they are a... Honda enthusiasts or Mercedes enthusiasts, whatever it may be. So using first-party data is critical. Gotcha. Why do you think dealers are so slow to move? I mean, obviously, so many of them now. I don't know of one that is not using a social or obviously SEM, SEO, 
But why do you think that they're so slow to move? Because we find this also in our end when it comes to training. Usually we find that dealers move when they absolutely have to, when they're at that critical point. Being a car guy for as long as you have, why do you think they're so slow to move? Honestly, they get inundated. Uh, you know, I walk in and I kid with them and, and just say, hey, I know I'm the 15th person that's walked in to talk to you today. And it's the truth. Um, you know, everybody's out there telling them how they can do it better, why they're better. And it's one of those things where if if they think that they're getting solid ROI from what they're get what they're doing right now, they figure why change it. But it's important to peel back the onion. I mean, you got to look at your battleground zip codes. Um, you know, I'm thinking of another example. I was with a rooftop the other day. You know, they're up 18% year to date. Unbelievable, right? They're you would think, wow, can't do anything better. But when I looked at their battleground zip codes, they're actually down in seven of the f- top 15 battleground zip codes. So obviously there's more opportunity instead of being 18% to be 30%. Let's call it what it is. We're a capitalist society, right? It's about making yep. money. Yep. Um, so I think there's just reluctance because they've been burned before. You know, everybody tells them how they can do it better. And again, my only recommendation is with any vendor that comes in to talk to you or anybody you're with, it's this simple. Um, the reporting that they provide to you, you know, will it show you at the end of the week, the month, the quarter, whatever, whether you should be spending more, less, or the same. If their reporting does not transparently show that, then you're dealing with the wrong vendor. Run. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Because again, at the end of the day, it's about getting the best ROI. Um, you know, are they telling you, you know, where you show up on what we talked about before, but those near near me queries as they're called. Um, are they providing you a journal if they're an SEO company? You know, like what they did specifically month in, month out. Are they an auto exclusive vendor? Uh, a lot of times you'll deal with agencies that deal with plumbers, roofers, and automotive. And we all know there are totally different ways to market. You pretty much summed up my last question. What should you look for in an agency or digital provider? And that you really want them to come in and say, hey, we're doing really well here. But over here, I think we should pull back and put more money in this area and social or, as you said, geofencing or whatever, so that it becomes a real-time strategy. Absolutely. Um the, the one thing going back to, you know, when the, when the vendor comes in, one little, I guess, self-test you could do for yourself is, you know, if using you know, Tony's Ford again in uh, King of Prussia, if I put in Tony's Ford King of Prussia and I've got six or seven listings, uh, Google calls them the local pack. Local pack is usually if you have a, you know, a couple, two to three organic listings, if you will, below the map section. And then the little, you know, the big ad on the right hand side on a search page. If you have that and you have an ad word on top of that page. That's just a waste of money because the person who clicks on it doesn't even realize it's an ad. You know what I mean? And and they're literally, you're paying for somebody to click when you already dominate the page and they were looking for you anyway. So there are some of the little things that you want to look at just to, I guess, to test your vendor. Another one you want to look at too is, and I bring up Google Analytics a lot, if you don't have access to your Google Analytics, again, run. Um, a lot of times, too many times, I see vendors want to create a new Google Analytics account because they want to set it up. And unfortunately, the reason they do that is because they don't want you to be able to look at a comparison year over year. Mm. Uh, Once they create a new Google Analytics account, if you will, the clock resets. So you want to be able to look year over year. And if they're coming in and setting up a brand new account, it washes out your previous history. So you have no, no comparison to show, you know, where you were last year versus this year. A vendor just comes out and says, hey, look, you've got 26,000 clicks and looks great. And you don't know if it's great. Good point. So they're, they're just some of the things you want to, you know, you want to ask yourself and ask your current vendor. And um, it, it's because, again, at the end of the day, you know, if you're a rooftop that sells, you know, 100 cars a month, I know the pain. I know you're spending, you know, 
roughly $65,000 to bring in that, that, that revenue. And, um, some of that revenue needs to go towards training. Uh, well, that I, that I totally agree with. Right. How do you, well, that's another thing too. You know, we, we go through, I mean, that's a great point. Using Google as a benchmark, um, for every thousand, we'll just use number thousand for every thousand clicks that you're getting from an AdWord campaign, you should what's called convert roughly 6% of those. So that just basically means a phone call, a form submission, uh, a text. Uh, they don't really track walk-in traffic because there's no way to track that. So it's usually just somebody who reached out to you from their PC, their phone, whatever it may be. So that means 60 ups coming through from that particular campaign. Um, where training becomes critical is I've got data that shows me now Gatehouse Auto, the company I represent, although I'm local, we're nationwide, um, we track closing ratios. And I've seen some some being as bad as 8.3%, and I've seen some best in class being 23%. So in a nutshell, if 60 people are walking through your door, are you the one that's closing 8% or 23, 24%? There you go. 